Well, good morning, my name is Derek, one of the pastors here. And if you're confused by that video, remember math class, like the greater than symbol? So if you're like, what's the triangle? It's the greater than symbol. So now you know for next week, you won't be confused. Um, go back to when you were in high school. Um, so some years ago, uh, I and my family kind of went through one of those hard times where um, I was, I was uh, a pastor at a, at a church um, and one of those people I thought that I could trust kind of turned against me and started creating kind of this slander campaign. And, and it was one of those kind of heavy things of there's a lot of lies being told and, and what do I do about it? Um, and if you know my wife, Callie, she's uh, one of the most gracious, loving, patient people I know. And, and she was mad. So she doesn't normally get mad, but her getting mad at this injustice made me feel like, okay, I'm right. And so it was one of those wrestling with what do we, what do, we do, you know, if... If I would respond and try and justify myself, then I'm going to have to join in this, you know, helping other people think negatively about somebody else. And so it was one of those really confused, like, this is really hurtful, and what do I do? And all the people that I thought were going to support me do privately, but none will vocally. It's like, oh, what do I do? And then God brought me a mentor, someone who is 30 years older, about 30 years older than me, uh, someone who had been there before, a very similar situation, someone with a very similar personality to me and gifting. Um, and it was, kinda, it was perfect timing that God kind of brought us together and we started meeting weekly. Um, and he was outside the situation so I could share everything. And he would sit there like, yeah, that stinks, <laughs> right? I mean, it was one of those where he could kind of joke like, yeah, been there, I get that. And I'm like, what's the godly thing to do? You know, should I do this? That'd be stupid, because um, I did that. I mean, it was one of those, there was so much comfort in somebody who understood, right? Someone, I've been there, I get all your feelings, like I get them, and, and they're okay. But he also had the wisdom and the desire for God's kingdom to help lead me, you know, don't disqualify yourself from ministry, do your part, glorify God. And, and so it was really helpful I was no longer alone. And this was somebody who also knew my wife. And so it's like, and she's feeling this. He's like, totally, tell her that, you know, it was really helpful. Have you ever been there where something's happening and then God brings you somebody who gets it, somebody who's been there and they, they can listen to you and not just sympathize, but empathize, right? Empathy is, is the ability to feel what the other person is feeling, which is mostly only possible if they've been through it. Right? Yeah, I mean, you could come and I could say, man, I understand how you're feeling. You might say, no, you don't. You haven't been there. Right? But have you been in that situation? God brings you somebody who has been there and can understand. And better, not just one who can commiserate with you, because that can happen too. God can bring it and they're like, I've been there. I'll be mad with you. Right? Or I've been there. And then we go the wrong way. Here's how I handled that. It was really negative, And you should handle it the same way. That can happen, and there's comfort, honestly, right? There's comfort in misery loves company, and we'll just be mad together. Um, that's not the great way to go through. Rather, somebody who goes, I've been there, and I can help, right? Let's go God's way. I can encourage. We can do this well together. Well, here's what I wanted to tell you this morning. There is somebody who gets it, whatever it is for you. Like, you, you were listening to this. You're like, here's mine. There's somebody who gets it and gets you completely, and that's Jesus, Jesus, that's the title of this sermon, Jesus gets you, seriously. Jesus gets it, and Jesus gets you. Now, if you're anything like me, you, you read the Bible, you came to know the Lord, and you're like, Jesus is God in flesh, he doesn't fully get it, <laughs> right? He's the Messiah, there's no way he, can, he can't fully get it, right? God can't 
fully understand. And he's so busy with all these other messed up people that he doesn't have time for my mess. You know, maybe, okay, I'm the only one that felt that. Um, what we're gonna see here is some deep, deep truth about Jesus that really culminates in he gets it. And he cares, like, and he empathizes, meaning when you feel, he feels with you because not only he loves you, but he's been there. Uh, there's a song where it says he, he stores up our tears in a bottle. Do you realize that? Like every tear you've shed, Jesus is like, oh, let me put that in, a, like I care so much, I'm, I'm, store, I'm saving it. Like I see it and I care. That's what we're gonna see in today's passage. Now, we're gonna be in Hebrews chapter two. If you don't have a Bible, grab one in front of you. It's page 1,103. Make it really easy on you. Now, if you brought your own Bible, I don't know what page number. But our Bibles, page 1,103, Hebrews chapter two. Now, let me tell you my dilemma. I love God's word and I love theology and all the deep stuff. The passage we're looking at today has some, I could, I could do like a six-week series on just these verses, but I'm not gonna do that. So you need to go home and study some of these things, but I am gonna drop some of these kind of huge theological truths, but because they're just in the argument, right? The writer of Hebrews has a point in, in all this stuff, and, and that's gonna be our main point. But in the midst, he's like, and then there's this truth. You're like, oh my gosh, that's deep. Oh, and then there's this truth. Oh, that's deep too. And we're gonna touch on those, but we don't have time to dig into all those. And so if you're one of those people that you love to go deep, you love to chew on it, I'll give you those chances, like write this down, and you've got lots of studying to do this week to go deeper into those. Um, and we're gonna touch on them, but again, we're gonna try and focus on the writer's main point. Now, if you remember, um, Hebrews is written, we don't know who wrote it, but it's written to Jewish believers, these Jewish believers are going through a hard time, persecution, poverty, suffering, and they're tempted, and some are going back to Judaism. They're abandoning the church. They're abandoning the, the truth of, of Jesus's message because what they came from was easier, right? Judaism was an accepted religion. Romans accepted it. They lived in the area of Palestine, right, where that's, I mean, it was Jews, and so if they go back that way, they're more comfortable. Um, they're gonna make more money, right? Economically, it's better for them to be part of that system. Uh, their families, if they turn to Christ, they're like, we're done with you. Well, well, let's go back. So they're tempted to go back. And a great theme of Hebrews is perseverance. Stay the course. Stay the course. Don't go back. And that's why this, this video we have before, the theme throughout this book is Jesus is better than the Mosaic Law, than angel, every, anything else. Jesus is better. Jesus is more, Jesus is greater. Now we, in general, we don't come from Judaism, but these things do apply to us too. What'd you come from? Aren't you tempted to go back sometimes? Right, the, the pleasure of the world, um, the acceptance of, of maybe your family, what, and you're tempted to, to go back. And he's saying, no, persevere, you don't have to go back. There's somebody who gets it. There's somebody who gets you. Now, chapter one of Hebrews, uh, we began, we looked at the idea that God speaks. You know, uh, Hebrews 1.1, 1, 1, we have a God who speaks. Previously, he spoke through prophets. In these last days, by the way, the last days, end times, every time from Jesus's ascension to his return. So are we in the end times? Yep, we have been for 2,000 years. So those are the last days. In these last days, he has spoken through his son, Jesus so we saw that in chapter one, he speaks, and this creator God who speaks came to earth to rescue us. Jesus is eternal, divine, took on flesh, came here to rescue us. That's what we saw in chapter one. Chapter two, we began uh, just the first few verses of a, with a warning. 
Now, there's five warnings in Hebrews. This first warning was, do not drift away. Re and, and really, the idea is a slow drift, right? Do not become apathetic or slowly listen to these other voices and be drawn away from God. So again, it was a warning. Be careful. Pay attention to Jesus's message. And it's all kind of couched in this idea that Jesus is better than the angels, right? So the angels gave the first law to Moses. Uh, it looks like on Mount Sinai. That's what their tradition told them. Um, and they said, that was good, what God gave. Jesus, being God's son, what he says is better. His message is better than what the angels brought. And so now he's going to kind of continue with that idea, um, and he's going to refer to the angels again quickly to, again, teach us the point in the rest of chapter 2. So look at verse 5, chapter 2, verse 5. For it was not to angels that God subjected the world to come, of which we are speaking. It has been testified somewhere, what is man that you are mindful of him, or the son of man that you care for him? You made him for a little while lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor, putting everything in subjection under his feet. Now in putting everything in subjection to him, he left nothing outside his control. At present, we do not see everything in subjection to him. Okay, there's a lot, right? This is two sermons right here, but we're gonna spend two minutes on it. Um, he refers to angels again, just briefly, right? They thought angels were great. He says, and angels are ministering spirits. Uh, they, they, are, they serve God. They serve us, but they're above humankind. He says, for a little while, right, Jesus is, is lower than these angels. But, right, these angels, earth, creation, was never subject to angels. In these verses, you see the word subject or subjection four times. When you see a word repeated, that should be a sign. Like, what's the point? Here's his point as he's looking at these, right, is that that. Uh, Jesus, right, has fulfilled something that we saw in Genesis 1. So, again, kind of idea of the Bible. By the way, if you want to be a, a follower of Jesus, a believer, let me tell you something. You have to accept the book of Genesis. The gospel begins in Genesis, not in Matthew. And so the creation account, if you don't understand the creation account, you can't understand what Jesus came to do. You can't understand something. If you reject that God created in seven days and, and the, the fall, if you think that's a myth, then you can never accept what Jesus did. It's not a myth. It actually happened. And what happened at the beginning was God created man and woman, and he gave them dominion. In uh, Genesis 1.28, God gives this command. He says, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion. This is called the creation mandate, right, where he gave humanity, men and women, the, the, the role to rule the earth, Right, We are in charge, basically, is what he said. You are in charge, have dominion, subdue it, meaning plant things, make gardens, grow, you know, uh, make aqueducts, do things, subdue the world. Now, when the fall happened, when sin entered, that was broken, right? Earth was no longer perfectly subject to mankind. Sin entered, and, and Satan, because Satan was behind that, Satan was given kind of some, some power. He was cursed as well, but he got signed some control right there. Uh, death entered. There was no death before sin. That's when death entered, spiritual death and physical death, and the earth was cursed. So they worked before the curse, right? They worked the garden, but it looked like it was pretty easy. One of those, like, you know, you drop a seed in and sprinkle some water, and poof, right? You, you got a tomato plant. Now, this year is awful, right? So the rain last year, or the snow was great, but if you're like, we have all these weeds right now, more than any year before, and they're the dang thorny ones. 
right? So you walk through and you come up and you're like, ow, it hurts everywhere because you got, the, those don't, didn't exist before, right? And the idea of planting and trying to grow, it was easy. Now it's hard, meaning the earth is no longer perfectly in subjection to humanity the way God designed it to be. So Adam failed. And that's a theological principle in the New Testament. As you look at Adam as our representative, failed. Jesus is called the second Adam. Jesus succeeded, right? So, so Jesus came, uh, this is in your notes there. The first man failed as our representative and passed on death and sin. Jesus succeeded as our representative and all things are now in subjection to him. This is one of those deep theological truths, right? Adam failed. And so anybody who doesn't submit to Jesus as Lord, right, a, a non-believer, Adam is still their figurehead. He failed, right? Meaning they're still in sin, condemnation of eternal death, right? That, that's hell, separation from God. Jesus now did what Adam couldn't do. He lived perfectly without sin, and he became our representative, the representative of all who would have faith in him. And he did it perfectly, meaning creation now is subject to him. Something cosmic happened. Uh, again, we can't, I can't wait to heaven when we can put in the VHS. I think it's going to be VHS. And watch the replay. I really do. And we're going to be able to rewind right, and watch what happened. Something cosmic happened when Jesus died and rose from the dead. Right, the earth shook, the veil was torn, it was, but more, right? All of earth then became subject to Jesus. Now, Satan still roams, Satan's still here. So here's a, another kind of principle we need to understand. It's the already and not yet. Uh, look at verse eight. It says, putting, in sub, putting everything in subjection under his feet. Now in putting everything in subjection to him, he left nothing outside his control. So what is outside of Jesus's control? Nothing. Get that in your head. At present, we do not see everything in subjection to him. That sounds like a contradiction, but it's not. It's the idea of the already and not yet. Jesus came. It is finished. He died. He covered sin. He rose from the dead. He ascended to heaven. We are still here. We're still in these bodies that, that fail. We still have sin. Satan is still roaming. So God's kingdom is growing. Jesus' control is increasing, and when he comes back, it's going to be perfect. So we're in this kind of in-between state, right, where we have eternal life now in Christ, and we're growing in him, right, and things are, are supposed to grow, but again, it's not yet fully realized. So, so put your brain around that. Why do bad things happen? Because we're not there fully yet, already and not yet. Um, sin, the curse, still here. So here's the question I ask as we continue. Why can we trust God in the midst of all this pain? Right, we see we're already here, so we don't see it, meaning there's cancer, there's relational problems, there's divorce, parents are gonna make big mistakes, kids are gonna make a lot of them. I mean, go down the list. How can we trust God in the midst of this? Uh, let's look on at verse 10. Actually, first, uh, verse Verse 9, looking back at, at Jesus, though, uh, the second member of the Trinity, here's another kind of one of those principles we see throughout Hebrews, the Trinity, right? We, we have the Father, we have the Son, we have the Holy Spirit. All three are God. Jesus is the second member of this Trinity. And what we see there in, in verse 9, again, this could be a, a whole truth right there, uh, but Jesus, our eternal God, took on real humanity, died for everyone, rose from the dead, and is now 
in glory with the Father. That's where he is right now. Look at verse 9. But we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. That's the gospel in one verse. (laughs) Right there, that Jesus, our eternal God, right? He became lower than the angels. He took on flesh. He became a human so that he could taste death for everyone. Jesus' death is sufficient for every person, every born. Every born, right? That's what he said. He tasted death for everyone. Will everyone be saved? No, (laughs) because a person has to place their faith in Jesus as Lord. So his death is sufficient for all, but effectual for those who will surrender to him. That's the truth, right? But, But he became, again, for a little while lower than the angels, but now, right, he died, rose from the dead. He's crowned with glory and honor. He is king at the right hand of the Father because of his suffering and death. My goodness, right? So that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. God is the one for whom and by whom all things exist. Look at verse 10. For it was fitting that he, for whom and by whom all things exist, in bringing many sons to glory, should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. For he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one source. That is why he's not ashamed to call them brothers. All right, what do we see here, right? This is very freeing. Everything is created for God, by God, through God, for God. You're not the center of the universe. That's really freeing, (laughs) right? I'm not the center of the universe. He is. And it is fitting, it says there, that Jesus should suffer, right? That doesn't sound fitting to me. I'll be honest, that God took on flesh to suffer for me That doesn't make sense. I should suffer for him. He's God. I'm human. No, he says it's fitting. That was his plan. That Jesus, through suffering, could make us right with the Father. This fitting, this idea is that that he completed his work, right? Jesus came to do something, to suffer, to die for us. He completed his work. That's what he came for. And in this, right, we see the idea, uh, he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one source, What's that mean? Who's the one who sanctifies? That's Jesus. Now again, salvation, deep theological stuff. Salvation is justification. We're made right with God through Jesus, his death and resurrection. Sanctification, the process by which we become more like Jesus. Future glorification, new bodies, eternal, uh, new heaven, new earth. It's gonna be great. Right now, sanctification. Jesus sanctifies us, but we participate with it. Right? So what he's saying is the one who sanctifies and the ones who are sanctified, us, have one source. What's that source? The Father. And this is starting to get to the main point that he has in this passage. We have one source, the Father. Right? Now, now Jesus is eternal. We are not. But the Father sent the second member of the Trinity to earth, right? He was the source of sending Jesus, the Son, to earth. Now, we who are believers also, what is our source? God which is creation ultimately, but our salvation, new creation, again, in God or or, or through Christ in God, right? We have one source. And the reason we see this idea of one source is this idea of adoptions, uh, adoption, right? Um, Verse 11, that is why he is not ashamed to call them brothers, brothers. 
saying, I will tell of your name to my brothers in the midst of the congregation. I will sing your praise. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, behold, I and the children God has given me. What's he talking about there? Adoption, sons and daughters. We are adopted as sons and daughters of God and are now in the divine family. That's what we see here, right? He, he, he would, wants to bring many sons, it says, to glory. Now, in Scripture, when it's, you know, mankind, sons, it's, it's men and women, right? That's the idea. It includes all. But he brings us into the divine family. This is a big deal. God, unfortunately, a lot of times we view God the way we view our earthly father. And there's no such thing as a perfect earthly father, and some are really darn bad. And so we, we, we compare sometimes our earthly father and, and put that onto God. Like, like God is this, this mean, angry father up there waiting for us to mistake so he can ground us, right? Or, or like a kid with a magnifying glass burning. We, God's not that, right? God is a, a good father who loves us and adopts us and brings us into his family. And Jesus, we see the point, is our brother, now, he's our God, <laughs> so we got to be careful not to diminish Jesus too much, but he was fully human. He is our brother, and that's kind of the point he's going through in this passage, that he is our brother. Look at verse 14. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is, the devil. And deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. For surely it is not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Wow. <laughs> I, I mean, there's so much here, again, that we're going to kind of have to skip over, but the, these deep truths of who Jesus is, right? First, creation was made to be subject to mankind. We ruined it, but God restored it. Now, in Genesis 1, he said, right, he creates all earth, makes men and women, says, earth is subject to you. What's that mean? Creation is supposed to be subject to humanity. That's why God had to take on flesh. That's one reason. Jesus had to become a man. Everything could be in subjection to him. So creation, the same as the mandate in the beginning, is subject to a human. That is Jesus. But, but more than that, Jesus was made like us so he could make propitiation for sin. That's verse 17. Propitiation. Again, one of those deep words. You know, why couldn't this writer make it easier on us? But what is, what is propitiation? Propitiation is the idea of, of a, an atoning sacrifice. Uh, it's something that would satisfy God's wrath. Here's, here's a definition for you. A propitiation is an atoning sacrifice that puts away sin and satisfies God's wrath. Now, we don't like the idea of God's wrath, but God is just. And so sin must be punished. We like justice, right? I, I mean, all humanity understands some idea of just God is just, so sin must be punished. That's the idea of God's wrath. A, a propitiation is an atoning sacrifice. Again, this all begins in the Old Testament, in Genesis, right? And, and in following, the law was given. They had the day of atonement where the high priest would sacrifice an animal 
right, and place the sins of the people on that animal as an atoning sacrifice so that God wouldn't carry out his wrath and judge the people as they deserved. That's what Jesus became for us. The perfect man, God in flesh, an atoning sacrifice so that when he died on that cross, God poured his wrath out on Jesus, right? When Jesus was, what did he say? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? We have no clue what Jesus went through because he was our propitiation, all right? So you wanna do more research this week? Look up propitiation, study that idea. But Jesus here, what's it say? He became man, he became like us so that he could be our high priest. Man, there's so much, you know, theology. Uh, I'm gonna throw this out. We don't have time to dig into it. But Jesus fulfills the old covenants in three key characters, all right? So again, the whole Old Testament, let's wrap it up real quick. You have prophets. God spoke through prophets. No longer. Jesus is our prophet. So Jesus is the last prophet we will ever have. So Jesus is the prophet. Meaning, if you go to any church, any whatever, and, and they have a prophet, run, right? run. There, there's not new revelation from a new prophet. Jesus is the prophet. Here's another one right here. It calls him the high priest. We're going to dig into that in a few weeks because he goes deeper into that. The pre, what was the role of a priest? Uh, specifically the high priest, but, but a priest would, would be between man and God. So the prophet would speak to man for God. The priest would speak to God for man. That was the priest's role. So you would come to the priest, you would offer a sacrifice, and they would offer them to God. You, you couldn't go offer your own sacrifice to God without going through the priest. Uh, uh, Saul, look in the Old Testament. King Saul did that and kind of ruined him. Um, you had to go, there was an order for it. No longer. So, so get this. If you have a Catholic background, or something, you don't need a priest. That's a bunch of bunk, right? You do not need somebody between you and God. You get direct access to God. Elsewhere, it says that we are all priests. We are a people of priests, meaning we get to go straight to God. Now, we need each other, right? We're, we're supposed to gather together. We're supposed to do this. But you don't need somebody to go to God for you. Now, there's principles as we look in scripture of, of when you're stuck in sin, go to those who are stronger in faith, right? That they will go to God for you and their faith will help you. We see that in James. But, but you don't, there's no barrier between you and God that you need a priest. You are saved by Jesus alone. You don't need to confess, right, for salvation. Now, confession is good. We should do that, but you don't have to do that. You don't have to do these things. It's already one for you. So Jesus is our final priest, meaning there's no role in God's kingdom today, for a priest. I hope we get that, because there's a lot out there that you need a priest. All right, he's our prophet, he's our priest, and he's our king, right? So promises were made to King David. David was a good king. Israel was a spiritual nation. They're not anymore. They're a secular nation, the one that exists today. Not the same at all. But the first one was a spiritual nation set up, and God promised David that there would be a king from his line on the throne forever. That's Jesus, so Jesus is our eternal king. It's a big deal. Prophet, priest, all in one person. He fulfilled the Old Testament. He is our king. He is our prophet. He is our God. But that's not the main point of the passage, right? I, again, there's so much here, right? Jesus, as a sinless man, could be our high priest, the perfect one. He could pay the sacrifice. But why does he, does he write all of it? What is all this deep stuff pointing to? It's pointing to this. Jesus gets it and Jesus gets you. That's what the writer of Hebrews wants to get across because these people are tempted to go away. They're tempted to abandon. They're tempted to give up. And he says, Jesus gets it. Don't do it. 
Jesus understands, go to him. It's not as if he doesn't understand. It's not as if he doesn't get it. He gets it and he gets you. And you see this over and over in these passages, right? He was made like us, right? He was tempted in everything like us. So the year was AD 15. Jesus was in his mid-teens. Uh, he hit puberty a little bit late. So his friends had really cool Jewish beards growing in. His wasn't growing in yet. He had a lot of acne, right? And, dealing, and they were making fun of him for that. So, you know, and he's wrestling with, like, God, can I skip this portion of humanity? The father says, no, you agreed to this. Um, have fun for the next couple of years. Fast forward. It's AD 25. Jesus is in his mid-20s, right? The, the time when a good Jewish man would be married. Well, he's still single. He heard that every time he went to the synagogue right? All these other Jewish women, hey, my daughter's available for you, right? I mean, he heard that every single week, right? Why aren't you married yet? Uh, what's going on? That same year, his, father, his earthly father, Joseph, passed away. Now, we, we don't see Joseph much after. We know he died at some point. So he passes away, and now Jesus, who had been working construction with him, Jesus, Joseph was a builder, right? That's what a carpenter is. It's not, you know, I know the movie show him, like, making chairs and tables. That's not what a carpenter was then. Uh, it was typically a builder with stone. And so they would build homes. And so, so Jesus now has to take over the business and provide for his mother, right? So in, in that, the way it was, dad died, the oldest son takes responsibility. That was Jesus. So now he's responsible for his mother and his younger brothers and sisters, and he's wrestling, but, but God, this isn't my point, right? I have a, you sent me here for a, something else, not to take care of these knuckleheads, right? Right? Not to go, you know, lay stone. That's not what I'm here for. I, I have a greater mission in life. And, and then there's that, that Sarah down the street, she was a little younger than Jesus, but she always had a crush on him, and she'd bring her home-baked cookies to him all the time and trying to put the moves on him, and she's like, man, that, that'd be awesome, but that's not my mission. That's not what I'm... Now, I'm making all this up. <laughs> if you're wondering where that is in the Bible, it's nowhere, right? I'm, it's, it's conjecture, but here's what the Bible says. He suffered like us. He was tempted like us, meaning he went through all these things that we went through. He understands, right? He, he gets it. That's the point. Because Jesus has been through everything we have been through, he can understand and help us here and now. I, I, earlier I said he can empathize, not just sympathize. He can empathize because he's been there. He gets it. Jesus was hangry. Have you ever thought? He, he was. Jesus was hangry, yet he did not sin. Jesus was tired. He was poor. Right? There were times he slept outside without a pillow. I, I, I mean, he, he went through all these things. Uh, he had siblings who did not believe in him. He, he had others that made fun of him. I mean, go down the list. Jesus gets it, and Jesus gets you. Right? Jesus is more. He is better. He is greater. Now, I want to apply this real quick as we wrap up. Two ways where Jesus gets it and gets you. Here's the first one. Jesus gets it and he gets you when you are most hurting. He gets it, and he gets you when you are most hurting. In your darkest hour, he gets it. One, physical sufferings, right? You ever been hurt, sick? Maybe there's something in your body you can't... He's been there, right? Jesus was whipped 39 times. Jesus went to the cross. And before that, right... He, he had physical suffering. He sprained his ankle and had to walk another five miles. Jesus, he gets it. He suffered physically. He was in a body like ours. He was cold. He was beaten. 
I think the, the physical parts we can understand fairly easily, but how about this? He gets it when you're, you're most hurting. How about those emotional sufferings, right? Those emotional hurts. You know, when Jesus, before he went to the cross and he was praying in the garden and he said, Father, take this from me, right? He was sweating drops of blood. He, he knows anxiety, right? That fear, you know, not fear of being outside of God's will, but, but fear of what that was gonna be to take on the sins of the world. He, he gets that. In Isaiah 53, this is kind of interesting, it, it, talking about the Messiah that would come, it says he was not good looking. He, he had no stately form. Have you ever thought about that? Jesus knows what it, it means to be unattractive in an earthly sense, right? He, he gets that. That's, that's who he was. The Son of God looked mundane and normal. It was in, in John 11 where we see him um, weeping, right? His best friend, one of, not his best, one of his good friends, Lazarus, dies. Well, what, it says Jesus wept. Shortest verse in all the Bible. I remember memorizing that. So we say, hey, I memorized a verse. Jesus wept, right? His, his good friend died and he felt the sorrow of that death. Even though he was gonna rise, raise him from the dead a, a few days later, Jesus wept. He knows grief. Again, One of his top 12 friends, right, sold him out for 30 pieces of silver, which I have held that amount once, and it's amazing, right? It's like a small little bag. Judas thought Jesus was worth that, right? So for me, when I went through what I would call betrayal, and I had that friend, that mentor helping me through it, the best part was pointing to Jesus. Like, Jesus actually gets that, too. He's been betrayed, too, by those who he thought were his friends. When Jesus went to the cross, how many disciples were there? One. The rest all were hiding behind trees or under bushes. They abandoned him. They left him. When Jesus was under trial, Peter is in the distance watching and denying him. Jesus was betrayed and abandoned by his friends. He gets it, right? He was not wealthy. Go down the list. He gets it. Now, number two, Jesus gets it and he gets you when you are most tempted. You know, this is one of those areas where we, we might... We might not fully understand that, and we don't, um, but Jesus was tempted. Now, now, what is temptation? Temptation is, is seeing something that you want outside of the way God would have you receive it, 
right? So Jesus was destined to be Lord of the earth, right? To, to be, have some uh, dominion over all things. Satan, before Jesus went into his ministry, offered him those. He says, I can give you all the kingdoms of the earth and you don't have to go to the cross, right? He was off, that was tempting. Wait, I don't have to take on the sins of mankind and I'll still be king of the earth? But, but no, he didn't do it, right? He was tempted in all things. Go down the list, what would that be, right? Lust, sexual temptation. He, Jesus was a human, he went through that, tempted by materialism. Absolutely. Jesus was tempted in all things like we are yet without sin. So real quick, I want you to get in mind your top two temptations, right? Just, just don't tell the person next to you. Maybe tell somebody later. But what are those, right? The, the, the two things that grab you, again, maybe it's materialism. Maybe it's money pleasure, whatever that is, put it in your mind. Guess what? Jesus gets it. <laughs> you might think he doesn't. Jesus gets it. He knows exactly what you're feeling. Now, he went through it without sin, meaning he can help you, right? He, he knows how to do it. He's not like the friend where you're like, man, I'm tempted this way, and they're like, me too. <laughs> Jesus says, me too, and I can help you with it. We can get through this. We can get over this. Right? I know there's, there's things in our world right now where they say, you're tempted, it's just who you are, you're stuck with it. No, you're not. If it's apart from God, you are not stuck with whatever that is. Jesus gets it, and Jesus can help you through it. This is the last point. Jesus can relate because he's human. He can help because he's God. He can relate because he's human. He can help because he's God. So go to him. You know, again, there, there's so much deep truth in these verses. And we look at this, and again, I'm, I'm tempted. I, I like this deep. I'm tempted to run off in those trails. But, but I want to focus on this one, right? Because I know there's a lot of pain in this room. Uh, a few weeks ago, we had a, a prayer day. And I, and I know the things that were put on these walls. There's a lot of pain. There's a lot of hurt. There's a lot of temptation. There's a lot of suffering. Guess what? Jesus gets it. Jesus gets it. We don't come to this place to pretend to be perfect. You know, we're a hospital, Right? We're all sick in some ways. That's okay. It's, it's okay to have the humility to say, I need help. And guess what? Jesus gets it. He's not going to beat you down for it. Right? He's going to bring you one of his people, in general, that's the way he's going to do it, to help you, to give you comfort, to give you instruction, whatever that is. Jesus gets it, and he gets you. So what are you holding back from him? What is it? We're going to take communion. And as we do, I want you to think, what is it that you're like, I'm not sure I really believe Jesus gets it, or I'm not giving this to him. I, I'm, I'm afraid to, or whatever it is. Whatever that is, give it to him. Wah. Sorry, I'm not used to this thing. <laughs> right? Give it to him. I'm going to be in the back. If you want to come tell me, pray with, I, I'd love that. Right? Maybe it's your group leader or someone in your group. Grab them. Pull them aside. Talk to them. Put it in the prayer wall. Just give it straight to God. Right? This is something I have not been giving to you, and I need your help. Right? The point of these verses with all this deep stuff is Jesus saying, I want to help you. That's the point. I get you, and I want to help. I want to help with whatever it is. So let's give it to him, and then let's take communion during this next song, remembering what Jesus did for us. Lord Jesus, we love you. God, um, for, forgive me. Uh, forgive us. There's, there's so much here, and we can't unpack all of it. Um, but God, you, you are better. You are more. You are greater. You understand us. You love us. And God, it's our pride that keeps us away from you. It's our pride that thinks you don't understand. Um, or I can't tell anybody else about this because they'll think less of me. God, that's pride. Break down our pride. 
Help us to have the humility to say, I need help in whatever it is. I need comfort. I need you, Jesus. God, give us the courage to give it to you, but then also to take it to somebody else because the way that you primarily work in this earth is through your people. So God, give us that courage to go to you and to go to someone else. And then I ask that you would fill us with that peace and that joy and that hope that you promise. We love you. In your name, amen.